Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five. Welcome in to another edition of Fizz 5. It is a beautiful Friday afternoon here in Syracuse. Ethan Frank joined alongside Carter Bainbridge. Carter, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's it's not our usual setup right here. It's a little bit out of the ordinary, but you're exactly right. Not only is the weather beautiful, but we have a whole lot to get through. It's been a pretty busy week in SU Sports. It's about to be a pretty big weekend with a a certain football game coming up tomorrow. So we are uh, pretty excited for that, both around campus and on the Fizz. We've been doing a lot of work on this game, so we are excited to see it. Absolutely right. And with that, let's get right into what's happening this weekend with topic number one. Number one. So starting off, it's the maybe the biggest game in Central New York in the Cary Dome in over 20 years. Number 15, NC State travels to the JMA Wireless Dome to take on number 18, Syracuse, in a top 20 matchup, the undefeated Orange NC State with just one loss on the season. There's been a lot of content on the Fizz this week about this game. Carter, what are you watching out for tomorrow when these two teams match up? First and foremost, it's the first real test that I think Syracuse is going to have thrown at it. Uh, Louisville was obviously a, a one of that was going to be an interesting game because the Cardinals have just eaten their lunch for the past decade or so. And Purdue is obviously a pretty solid team. I think we're going to look back at the end of the year and, and see that as, as a key win for this season. But this is your first ranked opponent. I mean, NC State is up there top 20 for a reason. And I think the main factor for tomorrow, the team that comes out on top and I can't say for sure until maybe later in the show who I think that's going to be. The team that comes out on top is the one that's going to run the football better. I know we, we've uh, been looking all week at the status of Devin Leary for NC State. Their, uh, their quarterback who has over 1,200 yards passing, 11 touchdowns so far. Dave Doran, head coach of NC State, has not given anything this week about his status. He's basically said it's a game-time decision. A lot of people don't think he's going to play, but we don't have confirmation yet, so we have to wait and see. In any event, I think that NC State's ground game is underrated, and even if Leary doesn't play, Syracuse is going to have to deal with that one way or another because you looked at what the Wolfpack did against Florida State last week. It was a tight win, a close game. But NC State still ran the ball 46 times for almost 200 yards, had 182 yards in that game on the ground. So this is a gritty NC State team that can beat you a lot of ways. And if Leary doesn't play, it takes away one of those ways because you know he's not going to scorch you through the air. But it's a very good Wolfpack defense, and it's a solid running game that is proven it can be leaned on for NC State. And I think especially if Leary doesn't go, that's going to be the major factor for them. And on the Syracuse side, Sean Tucker, his season's been pretty up and down. Of course, he had the great game against Wagner College, but, you know, you or I could have run for 200 yards against the Seahawks. Who well, that, that, a, that, that might be a bit of a stretch, but, you know, <laughs> such, there were some pretty, some pretty big running lanes. Yes. Of course. But Sean Tucker, it was, it was great to see him kind of get right and, and burst through the way that we know he can. 
after a couple difficult weeks against against Virginia and Purdue. But the test for him is that he's going up against a great linebacking core. Drake Thomas and Isaiah Moore are two guys at that second level for the NC State defense who are as good as any in the country. So that's your big test. I mean, Sean Tucker, Heisman candidate before the season, maybe not right now with what he's done, but the numbers are there. He's hot after a great performance. I'm eager to see what he does against that NC State defense because I think a lot of it is going to be on his back. Absolutely. I, I agree 100% with that. The key matchup to watch is going to be what decides this game, the Syracuse offense versus the NC State defense. Because obviously you have question marks with the NC State offense. You know, is it, back, is it going to be a backup quarterback? Is it going to be Leary? I'd have to lean with the former over the latter on that one based on all you know reports. Dave Doran has been very vague about what is going to happen with Devin Leary. But based on what I've been seeing, I don't think he will play. So that Syracuse defense that's been playing really well, one of the top defenses in the ACC against a backup is a mismatch for the Orange. It's going to be, can they score points on this NC State defense? And you mentioned those two linebackers. They are really, really good at the point of attack. Syracuse is going to have to get creative in the running game because hammering Sean Tucker up the middle is not going to get work against the, is not going to work against these talented athletes on the Wolfpack defensive line and in that front seven entirely. So it's going to be screen passes, tosses, read options, getting Garrett Schrader involved in the run game. NC State really struggled with Jordan Travis's running ability last week. Garrett Schrader is probably a better runner of the football than Jordan Travis's. So that may be something Syracuse can exploit on the offensive end. But, you know, the normal game plan of, you know, Tucker up the middle inside zone is not going to work. Yeah, I think play calling is a big factor in this one. And I like all the plays you kind of identified there from screens to misdirections to outside zone running and everything like that. Because I think that Syracuse throughout Dito Babers' tenure, and this was a bigger problem when Sterling Gilbert was the offensive coordinator. There's a big reason why he's not at that position anymore. And it's Robert and I instead. I think that Syracuse can get into its own head with its play calling sometimes. And, and you saw struggles with it against Purdue and against Virginia, where, you know, of course, turnovers were, were a part of that in the in the latter game against the Cavaliers. But occasionally you see SDU do some goofy stuff with trick plays, and they don't get very creative with the run game. Like you said, it's just basically HB dive up the middle with Sean Tucker, and he has the speed to get outside, especially with a pretty experienced line. There just has to be a little bit more spice thrown in there from uh, Robert and I and, and Dino this weekend, because... If you go in with the same old stuff and you go with a vanilla game plan and, and all you're bringing to the table to to change things up is, you know, another reverse pass from Courtney Jackson to Trevor Pena, I, I don't know. At, at this point, the element of surprise is gone. So instead of going for the real, you know, bring the house down special plays, I think Babers calls them. You know, bring 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 the kitchen sink, you know, really stretch out your offensive game plan. Use all the pages in your playbook and throw what you can at this NC State defense. Make them adjust to you. Absolutely right. And Syracuse will have a distinct advantage with the, you know, the expected crowd in the dome expected to be, you know, near a sellout. We've seen John Wildhack promote this game a lot. He's been doing a lot of media this week talking about how they want to sell out the dome, you know, reports of over. 45,000 tickets sold, 1,500 tickets remaining, whatever, you know, a near 50,000 seat capacity in the Carrier Dome, or excuse me, the JMA Dome, little slippage there. But, you know, old habits are hard to break. I 
I it remains to be seen. I'll believe it when I see it if the dome is sold out, but it should be a distinct advantage, especially against a backup quarterback, if it is. Yeah, I mean, what I remember from the Purdue game is that a couple writers and, and sort of beat guys for the Boilermakers made some comments when they, after they left the dome writing for their publications that it was right. I was, I was there. They'd ever yeah. Been. Yeah, yeah, I was there. It was, it was like the upper deck was, was almost like kind of empty and it was still very loud. Yeah. I mean, even for guys like in the big 10 who have been to the big house and they've been to Ohio state and all these other places, they came away thinking that a dome crowd that was what? 33,000 at yeah, the time for yeah, mid thirties. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So you have about 10 to 12,000 more people for NC state. It's just all coming together for SU because I think even if the team was four and one, you wouldn't have a team or crowd this large, excuse me. Absolutely. For this right. game. And it does make a tangible difference when you have that many people, especially at an indoor venue. It makes a difference. I mean, Dino Dino's talked about it a little bit in his in his press conferences about how assistant coaches who are a little bit newer have talked about how it's loud. He insists it's not because his voice isn't gone at the end of games. His voice is probably going to be gone at the end of this one. It, if that, it's that not, that's a, a problem. If it's not, that's, that's a problem. lot of people. If, if, it, if it's not, it means NC State got on him early and held him down. So uh, for Syracuse's sake, I hope that's not the case. And it, we'll, we'll have to see how – NC State's offense and Jack Chambers deals with that if he does play, if it's not Devin Leary, because that is a pretty interesting place to make a rare start inside the dome. Absolutely right. So we'll have more coverage. We have all sorts of coverage of this game up at Orange Fizz Online. We'll have, we'll do our we'll do some predictions later here on Fizz Five. But with that, let's get moving on to topic number two and switch gears a little bit. Number two. So Basketball. It's almost here. Can you believe it, Carter, that it is almost basketball season already? And Jim Beheim, I mean, his mouth is wide open, is spearing comments every which way. John Rothstein, I wrote a couple articles this week about how he was at practice this week, taking in the sights and sounds at the Mellow Center. And he got Jim on the record to say a lot of things about his team. And when Jim is hyping up certain players, that's when you know, you know, he is ready to put expectations on his guys. I think the biggest one I took away was, you know, Joe Girard's going to average 20 points a game this year. That's pretty bold. He said Judah Mintz is like Johnny Flynn, who was a top 10 draft pick in the NBA. He said, what else did he say? I mean, two freshmen are going to start. He he almost, I don't, yeah. he didn't guarantee it, but he said, I think this team will make the NCAA tournament. He said a lot is the point, and that's not often the case with Jim Beheim. Yeah, I thought that was especially surprising because – Bayheim, after all this time and all the media stuff that he's gone through and and how dour he usually is and how reserved he is with what he says he seems like he's in a pretty good mood lately for whatever reason he was awfully positive this past week and and did say a lot of things you're right um you know that that was the first thing that jumped out to me is that he obviously must be feeling pretty good because in year 47 for Bayheim, what reason does he have to make up all that stuff, right? He, he doesn't have any reason to, you know, try to sell tickets. He doesn't really have anything invested in that field. So he's not he's going for a contract extension. Yeah, he's not going for yeah, a contract not. extension. Yeah, exactly. So, he, I mean, he's shooting straight here. And if you're a Syracuse fan, you know, you, you must be pretty excited about that. And, and he didn't really mince words with that tournament thing he said. You know, you mentioned it. He said, we're going to be in the NCAA tournament. Um, 
you know, whether or not that's that's out of context in, in whatever publication you read it in is, is up to him to decide. But there's optimism there. And I think that's important, especially after a losing record last year. It was a pretty unfamiliar feeling for him. You know, I guess he lost game number 17 and, and just forgot how to act. He, he's not really acting <laughs> like Bayheim anymore. Um, exactly. Yeah. But the thing that the thing that jumped out to me, you mentioned how he brought up Judah Mintz, who is one of the freshmen in the incoming class. He's a guard. Um, compared him to Johnny Flynn, of course. And then he talked about the other freshmen, Chris Bunch and Justin Taylor in particular, said, you know, one of them is going to start at small forward. He seemed pretty upbeat about those guys, but he talked about another guy who's not a freshman, but who's also going to play for extended period of time for the first time. I thought that he struck a challenging tone towards Benny Williams. And that was a little bit different from all his other stuff because, you know, he, he was talking about mints, making comparisons. He was openly talking about playing freshman, which of course is not really his thing. But when he talked about Benny, he said he has to get us 10 to 11 points and six rebounds a game. He didn't include the game part in his quote, but that's part of what he was asked. But the thing that jumps out to me is that he said he has to get right. The language yeah. means something here, right? Benny Williams played sparingly last year. And when he got in, he, he didn't look comfortable. He went through a, a big, long scoring drought, I think in the month of January and February went like nine games in between scoring even a point. Um, so for Williams, it's, it's about getting comfortable and he's going to get a chance to do it. But it sounds like Bayheim is is a little bit more. I don't know, not not impatient, but he's he's striking a tone here, at least to me, that he expects more out of Benny and he expects it quickly. Uh, otherwise, there might be a little bit of a leash put on him because the team needs his contributions. They can't afford to have another season where Benny Williams doesn't look right, doesn't look like he's fitting in with what the team is doing. You know, they need they need that uh, production on the court to match all the hustle that we've seen after games where he's out there shooting baskets after time and whatnot. So expectations, I think, for him are a little bit higher. Yeah. And, you know, that's what Benny Williams, I think, is the fourth most experienced player on the team. If you think about it, the fourth most experienced player, Gerard Edwards, Torrance and then Williams. That's pretty crazy to think about. When you get seven newcomers, I guess you could throw John Bolajak in there, but I don't really count him. Um, he, he, you know, <laughs> I see him around campus all the time. He is, uh, he is something else. Um, but yeah, Benny, you know, I think he's under more of a burden than some of the other guys because you know he did struggle last year, and you know these are guys. There are guys that are going to come in and push him for minutes now. Last year it was okay. Jimmy and Cole are going to start, but if they don't have it, we don't really have any other choice except to go to Benny. And, you know, this year, if Benny's struggling, there's Chris Bunch, there's Justin Taylor, there's Malik Brown. There's a lot of different guys that could come in and fill roles for this Syracuse team. But I think Beheim needs Benny because he has that experience and he knows his pedigree and his talent is there that he can do these things. If Jim Beheim didn't think that Benny Williams could average 10 or 11 points and six rebounds, he wouldn't be saying this. He knows he can. He's just trying to push him over the finish line and motivate him to do what he knows he can. I, I think that's a good call. I, I think you're right. And it, it gets back to Bayheim, you know, just kind of saying what he thinks. Yes. And I think it's, it's, there's, there's expectations that he has for Williams and we have to, you know, put this in perspective. It's not really an enormous thing that he's saying he, that he's hoping he achieves. I mean, 10, 11.6 <laughs> rebounds for a forward. I mean, 
you're you're going to be relying on Joe Girard a lot for scoring, and and what you get from Jesse Edwards is is going to be gravy. But on a team with a lot of unknowns, you know, as long as Williams contributes and he shows that he's growing after averaging just under 11 minutes per game last year, you know, he'll have the time, he'll have the opportunity now uh, to to prove himself and up his game. And I think that's a positive for him, especially because he didn't transfer. You know, this is what you right. see now with as much as people talked about that and he insisted that he wouldn't and Bayheim insisted that he wouldn't and they were both right. So now you know, that pays off for, for Benny. Now he gets the chance to show people what he's got. Absolutely right. And and that brings us perfectly into, into topic number three when it comes to, you know, showing what you're about. Number three. So with that, let's talk about, you know, more media stuff because this is the time of hyping up your team, Syracuse men's and women's basketball, having it, their annual media days today at the Mellow Center last week. The two teams had events in Rochester. It was called Monroe Madness, you know, trying to build, you know, the brand of Syracuse basketball. And it feels like for the first time in a while, you know, since before the pandemic, that the teams are actually able to go promote themselves because, you know, it had in 2020, there were no fans. And then last year, people are slowly allowed back in the dome. There's still restrictions going on. You can't go, you know, everywhere you want to. People aren't traveling as much. Now that things are finally, you know, back to, you know, normal levels here in Syracuse, it feels that John Wildtack, Jim Beheim, Felicia Leggett, Jack are going to take their teams and use their brand. And, and that's thanks to NIL as well to, you know, put themselves out there more, you know, build out in Rochester, build out through the rest of central New York, because, you know, the slogan goes that Syracuse is New York's college team. You know, maybe that's fallen by the wayside a little bit because, you know, people are more nationalistic now when it comes to their fandoms. And now Syracuse is trying to get back in on that with what they're doing with their teams. Yeah. I think the availability of, of the coaches and players now in media day works to your advantage because if you were a recruit in 2020 or 2021, just depending on where you were, and you had to rely on a lot of Zooms and, you know, coaches couldn't attend the way they used to for recruiting. There's a little bit of a natural disconnect there. So I think for Syracuse to to fall back a little bit more on its reputation as as the FBS or, you know, Division One destination in New York State, you know, whichever sport you may be thinking about, that's important because SU has had a problem in both football and men's basketball, which is the topic of this conversation, I know, in attracting premier level talent from in and around the area. So, you know, take this recruiting cycle, for example, um, you know, Syracuse still doesn't really have anything there, but they they shot their shot, so to speak, with um, some pretty lofty ranked recruits from you know, all around, you know, from New York State and New Jersey and so on. Elijah Gertrude from New Jersey, um, you know, Reed Ducharme from New Hampshire, you know, around the Northeast, you see these guys Syracuse is, is trying to get, but the poll just isn't quite there. So I think the more you can get SU's main players, so to speak, within the program, and Bayheim is one of those, even though he isn't a literal player, um, the more that works to to Syracuse's advantage. As long as Bayheim is here, he's still a draw. And the more positively they can get SU's main guys, like Joe Girard and Jesse Edwards, who are both featured pretty heavily in this as well, 
the better off the program is going to be because those guys are conditioned with the media. They say the right things. They're both pretty unassuming guys. So they're good representatives for your team. I, I think all around Syracuse has to be pretty satisfied with what it brought to the table at ACC media day. Absolutely right. They went down to Charlotte. You know, they did their TV interviews. They, you know, Syracuse sends its reporters down. Those people do interviews. And, you know, you put them on a national stage. Both Gerard and Edwards did interviews on television. Beheim did a 15-minute spot on ACC Network. I watched the whole thing. And he basically just continued to reiterate his points about his confidence level for this team. And I think as any fan is happy to see that Jim Beheim is confident. Obviously, the offseason and the preseason is the time when you're most, you know, hopeful and excited as a sports fan because you know nothing's gone wrong yet you know you have all these positive images of people you haven't seen them play yet but you know it remains to be seen how good this team will be until you know you see them play on the court and I think that is the thing you still have to remember is that we have not seen this team play yet and we will not see this team play for another couple weeks when it comes to you know exhibition games but at this point, I think all you can be is hopeful because of what is being said by Bayheim. And and he doesn't he doesn't beat around the bush. He just goes right at it, just like you said, Carter. Yeah, and I think you see a change in, in Bayheim's demeanor for one reason or another. And we we can't speak for him, obviously, because we don't have any kind of personal relationship with him. But I think, you know, there is a little bit of a difference made, obviously, between preseason and midseason, but there are some things this year that Beheim doesn't have to deal with. I, I think last year he got tired of dealing with the questions about uh, Mike Krzyzewski and his retirement and how it related to when he was going to hang him up. I, I think that as the season went on, he, he grew more and more exasperated with those questions. And as the team didn't get off to a good start, surely he saw the writing on the wall of it's going to be pretty challenging to get this team a, to a winning record, or B, to a tournament. I mean, they failed on both fronts, and obviously that was, you know, a kind of a mark on his career finally. The first for the losing record was was a big one. So I think there are some mental stressors that may be off for him, and with the construction of this team being the way it is, it's kind of a fresh look, right? He, he's got some things to figure out with these freshmen, but clearly he likes what he sees so far, and that's big news if you're an SU fan because – if Bayheim likes what he sees, there's a good chance that if you follow the team, you will too. Absolutely right. And and that brings us perfectly into topic number four. And Bayheim is not the only guy who who likes what he sees right now. Number four. That would be athletic director John Wildtack, who gave his uh his fall mid-fall update last week. And really, I want to transition from from basketball to football. You know, we hyped up the uh, Rochester event with basketball, but really, he was pressed on, on Dino. And you know, he get, when he gave his press conference in June, I wrote about this. He said, you know, he was asked, "Is Dino on the hot seat after you know three straight losing seasons after going ten and three in twenty eighteen?" He said, "No, Dino's not on the hot seat." And I think that got people in Syracuse, but maybe some of our listeners and readers upset. Why is Dino not on the hot seat? This team is going absolutely nowhere. And look at John Wildtack now. It took a, it took his victory lap proven right because this team is five and zero. Oh. You know, it would be an utter shock if they weren't bowl eligible. I think that'd probably be a fireable offense if Syracuse lost its last seven games to end the season and ended the year five and seven. But you know, in all likelihood, this team will be bowl eligible and playing in December at some point. And, and Wildtack has nothing but good things to say about Dino, the hires he's made, the players he's brought in, the development he's done. It's working out for him right now. 
Wild Hack's whole thing with the the Dino quote unquote victory lap, and I think that's how we referred to it on the Fizz a little while ago, maybe last week. I think it was. He's right to celebrate the decision to stick with Dino because at the end of the day, it was his. I think Wild Hack would have had a tough call to bail on Babers if this season had gone sideways early. If you know what what happens if SU starts out one and four, or you know one and two and three rather, because you know they're not going to lose to UConn and, and Wagner. But you know if the team is like that and they start to lose games about this point of the season, I think that Wild Hack would have some pretty interesting decisions to make, and he would have had to go back on the big decision that he made, and the one that could have easily haunted him this year and was ripe for some questioning after twenty twenty one. And that was his decision to give Babers that extension following the 2018 season. Of course, the figures on that were not public, but you know you can you can view it if you really want to be a sleuth and go into SU's tax returns. It's a lot of money. Whole <laughs> you lot go of money. SU, you 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 been in SU's tax returns? I think once, and I poured through the numbers, and I realized I didn't have a future in accounting. But <laughs> there's an awful lot of money being paid to Babers right now. I mean, he he looks like he deserves it with a five and zero start. Um, but five and seven last year, couple chances to get a bowl down the stretch, and SU kind of blew it against some teams that I think were were better than Syracuse last year, fairly so. Um, year number six for Babers, one bowl would have been a tough choice, and I think that the main reason that we didn't think about that harder, and why Wildhack was so quick to defer the questions about that, was because he knew that the school could not deal with the buyout for Babers, and that was strictly the reasoning for not considering a change in coaching. It was just dollars and cents with a C, not an S-E-N. Um, that that was what instigated that choice, what made that choice easy for Wild Hack. And now I think it's notable that he did dodge the question about another extension for Babers in that same conference. So he went up there to laud everything the athletic department has done, how good the football team is, how much he, you know, what faith he has in, in, in Babers, but he got asked about another extension and he said, you know, we're focused on the next few weeks. NC state is, is a good team and Clemson is a good team. Well, I, I guess I don't really blame him. Would you give Dino yeah. Babers a contract extension right now? Absolutely not. I would not. No, I, and I wouldn't want to talk about it either. You know, wild hack is a former media professional. He was with ESPN. So clearly he understands how to deal with the media and kind of say what he wants and convey his message. And he did right there. Um, but you know, that, that's another choice down the line for him. And I think it was a risk and something that he was probably thinking about this season was, you know, that extension was was kind of a, a move that could have looked bad if Syracuse was, you know, down last year. And if they possibly got worse this year, that would have come back to bite him. So overall, I think his choice to stick with Babers has been more than validated. 5-0 and is 5-0 and for the first time in 35 years. And that means a lot. Um but what it's going to do is make the make future negotiations all that much more interesting, right? Because if, if Syracuse can't can't possibly ruin a bowl chance this year, but if they do make it, you know, two of seven, it's not wonderful. It's still good. But if if Wild Hack asks Babers, "What have you done for me lately?" There's more at the back end of that portfolio than there was five weeks ago. Right, and, and you know, I think I read today that his contract is up after 2023, so he'll be definitely back next season. It's just about, you know, if when 
if or when do you give him another contract extension? And that is the question at this point is what does the future hold for Dino? But you mentioned five and oh, that brings us perfectly into topic number five. Number five. So here it is, our final discussion of the day. Syracuse five and oh. We've made our crystal ball predictions. I mean, not to brag, but I am five and zero oh so far this season in crystal ball predictions. Carter, do you, if you could, pull up the uh, the Fizz crystal ball and and re- read through what uh what our team has in store for this week? I do have it. So for the crystal ball, our weekly predictions, Ethan, you are up at the top because your record is unblemished. Syracuse twenty, NC State seventeen. Like before we come back to you, let's just go around the fizz and, and take stock of who picked what. Cam is there, Syracuse 27, NC State 24. So SC that is a lot. That's o- that's a lot of points. That is a lot of points. O- two and oh so far. Ian Unsworth, NC State 28, Syracuse 27. He has the pack by one. That is our a lot first of NC State picker. Liam Griffin, NC State 24, Syracuse 21. So we're even two two. John Eads, Syracuse 23, NC State 19. There's no way John picked Syracuse to lose. (laughs) He is three and one on the season, but he, you know, he has had some easy choices like UConn and Wagner. Yeah. And then down near the bottom, uh, I had Syracuse 26, NC State 24. So a lot of these, a lot of these totals are sticking in the twenties. I don't think anybody's picking either team to score 30. This game, no, this game is going to be a slugfest. The over under is 42 last I yeah. checked. And a lot of, I think, I, th- I think I was the only one to pick under 42. I mean, Fra- Francesco has Syracuse 21, NC State 17. So he's okay. Under. So that's under. All right. He's, so he's our last guy. So overall, I, am... I think Syracuse has the majority of the picks. I think out of our, what is it, seven riders? One, two, yeah. three, four, five, six, seven. We have, five Syracuse and two NC state. If uh, not- I guess that's, that's what you'd probably expect, but you know, I think this game is going to be very low scoring. You, you look at NC state's offense has struggled at times. They put up 19 points against Florida state at home. Now you're going to come in and play in a very tough road environment with a backup quarterback. And you think they're going to get in the twenties. I do not think so. I think Syracuse is going to have a hard time getting to 20 points as well against a really good NC state defense. I understand they're coming off a bye, but I think the offense is going to be a little rusty in the first quarter. We have not seen Dino Babers' teams play well off a bye. You know, remember last year, 41 to three at Louisville. That was uninspiring. Years past, it hasn't been any better. I'm cautiously optimistic that Syracuse will be able to pull this game out. There's just too much working in its favor. Backup quarterback, home, off a bye. All three of those things just just give me Syracuse a slight edge and the orange are favored. I saw minus three and a half. The orange are favored right now. So I don't know if they cover that spread, but I think it'll be right around there. One possession game. Yeah. I, I kind of thought the same thing. There's just so much working for SU's favor in this game. Like you said, it's coming off a bye. it's at home in front of what 45,000 people, the most fans in a game that'll be at the dome since Clemson in 2019. I was at that game and it was absolutely deafening. So, you know, that packing the dome like that's going to be a big factor. And the big difference for me for NC state, I don't think Syracuse is going to have a great day against this defense because this is easily the best defense SU has played all year and might be at the end of the year, the best defense with all due respect to Clemson, 
These are definitely the best linebackers in the conference. So I think that SU, you know, at times, like I said, the the, the play calling has been a little iffy here and there. I, I think this is another game where we're going to see a lot of Andre Schmidt because down deep in the red zone, I, I just have a feeling that NC State is going to tighten up when it matters. But the reason why I picked the orange, and you can read about this in a little more detail in the article, is that I just don't know what's going to happen with NC State's quarterback situation because I don't think Devin Leary is going to play. I'll kind of put my chips on the table and say I don't think he will. I don't know whether he will or not because Dave Doran hasn't really shown his hand this week. But even if he does, he's coming off a shoulder injury to his throwing shoulder. He's facing down a Syracuse defense that I know they've played some some bad teams like UConn and, and Wagner, but the Orange are up at the top in scoring defense in the ACC. You know, they manhandled Virginia. They made Malik Cunningham look dreadful in week one. Um, you know, there are some injuries there, but if SU can lean on its main guys, Garrett Williams, Michael Jones, Marlo Wax, and keep Devin Leary or Jack Chambers, by the way, the graduate transfer uh, coming from an FCS school, which I can't even, I don't even recall where he's from off the top of my Charleston, head. Charleston Southern. Charleston he actually, Southern. So has, actually, I, I learned about this. He walked on to NC State, didn't even have a scholarship just so he could be part of a Division One program. Right. So Ch Mr. Charleston Southern, as best I hear, hear and I have heard this, he has a master's degree. But I don't know how well that's going to prepare him going up. He's, against he's old. He's an old guy. A like good he's a veteran. SU defense and Tony yeah. White's unit that has him being talked about as a sort of dark horse sleeper potential head coaching candidate next offseason. So I think Syracuse has a lot going for it here. But on the flip side, if the Orange blow this game and go to five and one and don't get the bowl at home, I think that's a little bit defl deflating in a it would way be a a right. It's, it would be a deflating loss. I agree. I, I think, I think that's kind of worrying because this is the hard part of the schedule that we, you know, SU could snowball. The, it could easily snowball. SU has been looking down the barrel of this all year. NC state is good. Clemson is like itself again after a pretty rough year last year, Notre Dame can, can beat. I know this is not a very good Notre Dame team, but like the, the still have, can, can still right. beat you. They still have a lot of talent on the road when it's cold. They have to go down to Pittsburgh. Like if you don't play your cards right here, you could be five and four by the time you have to play what Sam Hartman and Jordan Travis back to back weeks. Like yeah. there, there, there's a, there's some danger here. And I think SU with a banged up squad, if you lose the handle on this at home and you don't handle it right, that's, that's risky. And I think if they, if that happens, that's where, Babers is kind of going to earn his money as a leader because how do you get your team right after you lose the chance to celebrate in front of 45 K in the dome with a bull berth, you move to six and zero and beat down a rival who is, you know, taking you to the cleaners the last three years in NC state. I think you go really one of two ways. Here. You're going to feeling going to be feeling one extreme one way or another tomorrow, but you know, both of us think SU is going to come out on top. So here's hoping, I guess. Here is definitely hoping. All right. I think that will wrap it up for this week's edition of Fizz 5. Carter, any final messages before we sign off before Syracuse and NC State tomorrow? Pack the dome.
That's really Pack. all I have. If, if you enjoy our content on the Fizz and you're an SU fan, find a way to get out there. Absolutely right. Read everything we've got going up on the Fizz right now. This will be just another weekly edition of Fizz 5. We'll be back next week with all your content recapping this weekend, basketball, football, everything in between. All right. With Carter Bainbridge, I'm Ethan Frank signing off for this week's edition of Fizz 5. Enjoy the game on Saturday and we'll catch you next week. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.